And like the first question they'll ask is like some variation of, can you tell me about your entrepreneurial story? Or like, can you tell me about your journey? Or can you like something that is so broad mm. and so vague? Yeah. And also that I have, ca- I have covered in so many articles and interviews <laughs> and podcast episodes, and, you know, like you're, you're getting 30 minutes of my time, like, which I think is fairly valuable. Certainly mm-hmm. it's valuable to me. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to lead with that. <laughs> Welcome to Wind Down, Build Up, the podcast giving you the tea and the tools to succeed in business. I'm Tabitha Solomon. And I'm KJ Miller. Today on the show, we are talking all about your most asked questions in our grab bag segment. Yes. <laughs> this is obviously a fan favorite from day one. And if you can believe it, KJ, we're almost a year into this podcasting thing. And Ooh. I know, and we religiously bring this to you all once a quarter. So we couldn't go quarter without answering your burning questions. Absolutely. And before we jump in, we do want to encourage you as always pause right now and follow us if you're listening on Spotify and also leave us a written review a five-star written review if you're listening on Apple so we can keep bringing you the content we love all right so let's jump into our tea time this week so since we're going to spend our conversation answering some burning questions and To be honest with you, most of these questions are perfect, they're juicy, they're interesting, they're exciting, they're going to be insightful, but sometimes, (laughs) ever so often, we get questions that you're like, oh, why are you asking me this? So for the tea, we're going to talk about the questions that we get all the time that we hate. Yes. Um, So I will kick off here. And (laughs) I say a question that I hate, um, that I get a lot when I meet with entrepreneurs, and this is no shade if any of those entrepreneurs are listening, just take this as a learning moment. Um, But I'll meet with entrepreneurs because I, you know, I do monthly office hours. And like the first question they'll ask is like some variation of, can you tell me about your entrepreneurial story? Or like, can you tell me about your journey or can you like something that is so broad Mm. and so vague and also that I have, I have covered in so many articles and interviews (laughs) and podcast episodes, you know, like you're, you're getting 30 minutes of my time, like, which I think is fairly valuable. Certainly Mm -hmm. it's valuable to me, Mm -hmm. like. You're gonna lead with that telling your <laughs> entrepreneurial story. Like it just it's so vague. It's like I don't feel like you're or I shouldn't say you're not gonna get anything out of it. Yes, I could act I could sit here for 
30 minutes and lay out my entrepreneurial story. But if you are actually trying to pursue a business, you need to come with specific questions about the stage where you actually are. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing right now? Are you trying to register a trademark? Are you trying to raise funds? Are you trying to find a manufacturer? Mm -hmm. Are you trying to get a designer for a logo? Whatever that thing is, ask me about that, Mm -hmm. right? Because I have specific advice I could give you about that. But just like my broad entrepreneurial story, like you never know what I might say, you know, like, so that is to me, it's a, it's a pet peeve of mine. Like if you're going to sign up for time with me and, and say that like, I, I could be of really great help to you, then let me actually help you and ask me specific questions. Yeah. I think when I hear someone ask that type of question, I feel like they haven't done any research. Um, Cause if you've done to your point, if you've done research, they, they would have heard this story in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also lends me to think like, are these a serious entrepreneur, you know, right. because a serious entrepreneur is going to use this opportunity to get answers to questions that are going to help them advance their business, you know? Um, yeah. And so like, it, it seems like such a wasted opportunity to not ask specific questions that are going to help you address your specific pain points. So that that's a good one. That's a really good one. For me, I think a lot about uh, the questions are a bit pet peeves for me are, um, and I say this, like, I hesitate to even say this, because I always want to create like a safe space where people would ask questions, like, you know, throw around that cliche that there's no such thing as a stupid question. So all of that being said, when someone asks me something that they can find on Google or YouTube pretty easily, that's mm-hmm. a bit frustrating. Mm-hmm. Or when they ask me something that's like clearly outside of my domain of expertise. So for instance, if someone's like, uh, you know, like how do I, you know, like, should I be a S corp or C corp, a LLC, a Delaware C corp? Well, I can tell you what we decided to do and why we made that decision, but I can't really tell you what legal entity you should make your business because you have to look at all the different factors. And when you make that type of decision, not only are you making a legal decision, you're also making a tax decision because there are a lot of tax implications. And so like, mm-hmm. that's not my area of expertise. And, you know, a CPA is much better suited to answer that question. Uh, and so is YouTube. YouTube has a ton of great information. So I like how you framed it. Like it's a learning moment because, you know, someone might just genuinely be like, I have no idea anything about these different, like, you know, business structures. And that's fair. Like I had no idea either in 2017 when I was getting started. Uh, But, you know, we are a very, very fortunate generation where information is literally at our fingertips. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Completely agree with you there. Yeah. Okay, well, it is time to get into the tools portion of today's convo. (laughs) So let's jump into it. We have a nice meaty list here. The first question I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, The writer says, I can't stand my co-founder. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. We've tried everything to reconcile, but it's clear that this isn't working. How do I kick them out. Ooh, we are coming in hot. <laughs> we are coming in hot. You know how we do it? <laughs> um, woo, my oh my. Well, look, 
I'll take this. First of all, I will take this person at their word that they've tried everything to reconcile. Um, so I'm not going to give advice on things you can do to reconcile. I'm just going to assume you tried it. You went to coaching. You've tried being honest. You've done the I statements, blah, blah, blah. So now you really are asking, how do you get rid of this person? And I, I you know, I have never uh, gotten rid of a co-founder. So this isn't coming from my personal experience, but I have watched other people do this, um, some successfully, some very, very tumultuously. Mm-hmm. So I think what's going to be tough is if it sounds, it sounds like you guys' relationship is in a bad place already, which means there's only but so smoothly this is going to go. However, when I think about one founder in particular who I know who did part ways with his co-founder. Um, and, and we had a long conversation about this. What he told me he did was essentially worked really hard to make sure that the co-founder's exit was a good one, right? Mm-hmm. And so by that, he was saying he worked with the lawyers and he worked with the investors to make sure this person had a really strong exit package um, and gave the person enough time to make sure they could land on their feet in a position that would make sense. But in order for that to work out, he had to have the stakeholders all in agreement Mm. that this was the right move for this person, right? So if it's just like, if you guys have the same amount of equity, or even if you have a little bit more, it can be hard to just force somebody out if they've got like voting rights on the board they've got a big chunk of equity so you're going to need other people around the table who agree with you that this person has to go so step one is aligning whoever the other stakeholders are if, if you do have other stakeholders so if you have other investors um particularly uh, other board members getting them on the same page with you that's step one and then step two is giving this person as dignified an exit and as soft a landing as you possibly can. And that might be tough for you if you really are in a space right now where you can't stand this person, you might not want to be gracious, but that is only going to help you because if this turns really tumultuous, then it could take much longer than it needs to and it could be much more expensive than it needs to. So I think you approach it and say, and you might even need to have one of the other stakeholders sort of um, mediating this conversation or being a part of this conversation and say, listen, it's pretty clear that our partnership isn't working anymore. But the one thing I do believe is that both of us want what's best for the business. Mm-hmm. And so because we both want that, I think we should be able to come to an agreement. And I want to make sure that, you know, any agreement we come to works for you and that you're left with in a good place, right? Start from that position and be as gracious as you can. I mean, you have to prepare yourself for the possibility that this is going to be tumultuous no matter what. But I think to the extent that you can make it clear, I am trying to do what's right for you and by you, because even though we've grown apart, I care about you and your well-being. I think that's just going to set your set yourself up for more success. That's That's what I would say. What about you? I think that's a really, really strong uh, answer and some really good gems there. Um, the only couple things I would add is um, a, a number of, like, I think this was like within our first 10 episodes, we actually did a live negotiation 
um, since we both co-host and both co-created this podcast. Mm -hmm. And we came up with our agreements, our terms, how we would part if we need to replace someone, all the details of what this working relationship would look like. Mm -hmm. And so I would just add that, you know, depending on where you are in your entrepreneurial journey, if you're in an earlier stage part of the business, um, this is something to think about upfront before you bring on a co-founder, right? A lot of our listeners, they're not founders yet, but they have an interest in starting a business. So kind of using this as like, essentially getting, getting ahead of the game. But if you're already in the game, it's not too late. Uh, excuse me. No, if you're sorry, if you're not in the game, this is a great opportunity to make sure you have your contract up front. The other thing I was going to add was understanding this person's motivator. Um, so what is their motivation? Is it like, do they really crave money? Is it about power? Is it about respect? Is it about, you know, like what, what gets them going? Is it recognition? Because I think that depending on what their motivators really are, you can kind of lean into that. So if someone is like, you know, they felt disrespected, you know, they feel like, you know, they're getting pushed out, things of that sort. Perhaps you take your foot off the pedal when it comes to that. And you essentially negotiate how you help them save face, like KJ is saying, while they're leaving the company. Or for them, if they were like, I give two shit about my reputation or what someone says about me, I want to get paid. Then maybe it's talking more about the a buyout price that you both are really comfortable with. So for me, I always, and I think this goes back to my sales days, is like understanding that person's need, what, whoever that person, the stakeholder is across from you at that table, understanding their needs and kind of like leaning into that so you can at least try to essentially exit the relationship where I don't think either party is going to be happy, but like uh, both people don't essentially hate each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I think that's right. And and I will just reiterate how helpful it can be to have a mediator in these conversations. Yeah. So if um if you do have an investor who can play that mediator role or if you guys have worked with a coach before or a mentor or advisor before mm-hmm. who could play that role, sometimes when you're having these really difficult conversations, it's just helpful to have someone who can kind of prod the conversation along a bit with by asking questions or by saying like okay, like based on what you just said, it sounds like, you know, this might be Mm -hmm. what you're looking for. But sometimes that can be really helpful. So I would just reiterate that. And good luck to you, whoever is in this position. (laughs) We're rooting for you. We're rooting for you. you. And Mm -hmm. it's it's not uncommon. Um, Okay, the second question that I see here um, that we do get a lot is, should I bootstrap or should I raise money? Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, well, I'll let you go first. What do you think on this? You know, I really think, again, it's like, what is your objective? You know, one of my best friends, Isaac, always says, start with your goal in mind first and work your way backwards. And I think that should be the goal here. So, Mm -hmm. like, for instance, if you're just looking to live a very comfortable, easygoing life, you know, maybe you just want about you, your partner, your kids, and having some financial security, but so you can pick them up from school every day at three o'clock and be at home to make dinner. And you want to essentially have, you know, a lifestyle business. It may be better suited for you to bootstrap it, you know, you know, 
grind a little bit up front, use capital that you save, continue to grow it. Then you hire people to kind of maintain and get, keep the business going, but you're, you're just overseeing it. I have a friend who's doing that and she had lives like probably the most comfortable life out of all of my friends right now. Right. Compared to a lot of my friends who've gone the opposite way. So mm -hmm. I think especially having moved from Silicon Valley, I felt like out in the Bay, it was like, if you do not fundraise, that meant that you're not thinking big enough. And I kind of subscribe to that brainwashing <laughs> <laughs> at one point. And now I feel like that's really unfair. You know, people have different priorities and different goals. And just because they choose a different path doesn't make one right or wrong. Now, I think this idea of raising money makes sense if you want to build a like big disruptive business that's trying to reinvent a category of some sort. I think it's really hard to do that. It's not impossible, but it's really, really hard to do that from bootstrapping, essentially using your own capital from your savings to do that. Unless you come from like a really, really wealthy family. But even then, it's tricky. Now, one thing I've seen work really well is I have a buddy of mine. Um, he and his wife created like a, a hair care company and they essentially bootstrapped for I think it was like the first year or so of their business and they kept their jobs. They're both working full-time corporate gigs and they were able to finish a, a target accelerator. And at the end of it, they were able to secure a PO. Uh, so a purchase order and they took that and then they secured a second PO from another mass retailer and they, took those two peels and then went to fundraise so they could get more favorable terms. So I think, you know, I think of all the options, if you could do something like that, that is optimal where you are essentially using your savings, using the capital you have at your disposable at your disposal, you know, maybe even taking out some loans to build out the business and prove uh, proof of concept. And then if you think this thing has potential to be really, really big and you know you're willing to sacrifice and go all in and do all that it takes of grinding to make this a massive business, that would be a really good time to then consider raising capital. So that's my two cents on it. What do you think, KJ? I, I agree with that. I think it's all about your goals. Um, and I think if the business you want to build, you are able to build with money that you've got saved up, then I personally will say, go that route every time. Um, because once you start taking in outside money, you become accountable to outside folks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it, it comes with strings, plus you're giving up equity. So if you can build the business you want to build without taking on capital, I'm always going to be all for that. Um, I That wasn't the position that um, Amanda and I found ourselves in. We knew the company we wanted to build, we would need to raise money to build it. Um, but that's not the case for everybody, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just think it's exactly like you said, figure out what it is you want. And then I think figure out, can you get there without taking on outside capital? And I personally think if the answer is yes, then to go down that path. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Nice. So the next question we have here, uh, when should I quit my job and go all in on my business? Yeah, this is a good question and a question I feel like um, I get a lot. Um, and I think the answer is going to depend on you. Mm -hmm. uh, for us, 
we decided to quit our job after we had a term sheet in hand. And I think I've talked about this before. The term (laughs) sheet is the piece of paper that an investor puts together saying like, I'm going to invest in you with these terms, you know, at this valuation, whatever, what have you. So even though we didn't have the money in the bank yet, we did have something akin to a commitment. And that felt like enough for us to leave our jobs. It was still risky, right? This person could have reneged. Mm-hmm. It's not a binding document. He could have, they could have turned around and said, you know, we've changed our mind, but we felt like it was enough of a commitment that it was, it made us more comfortable taking that leap. And so I guess what I would say to someone else, whether it's a term sheet, whether it's, you know, a certain number in sales, um, you should, you should create some sort of metric um, or some sort of milestone that you want to hit before you decide to quit your job. Because mm-hmm. it's just helpful to hold yourself accountable to something um, and to set and to set a goal for yourself. So whatever, mm-hmm. whatever that milestone is, I think only you can decide what's going to make sense for you. Maybe you're, maybe you want to have, be at a point where you're bringing in 5,000 a month in revenue before you quit. Cause that's, mm-hmm. that's the point where you feel like, okay, I can break even and I can still take care of myself at that, at that amount of money. So that's when I want to quit, you know, like you have to, mm-hmm. you have to decide the milestone for yourself. But I would say put some real thought into it and then use that as your guide. Yeah, 100% agree. I mean, for myself, when I was working at Google and I decided that I wanted to do this full time, I essentially just did, you know, back of the map, back of the envelope math and just said, okay, if I want to spend, live off this amount of money, so it'll be like, you know, a cheaper way of living than I currently live, but one where I can still like, go out to eat with my friends and still have some semblance of a life I'm just not taking like lavish vacations you know okay so I can pull back live off of this um how much money would I need it so if I didn't get paid for one year or two years or even three years you know like how much money would I need in the bank to pull that off so I had that calculation I also was thinking about like when would I get certain bonuses you know, because I was also thinking, I don't want to forfeit bonuses that are coming up, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. if I don't have to. So I stayed a little bit longer so I can get that extra, you know, uh, bonus that I, I can live off of. And then to your point for revenue, for us, I, I, you know, the number that I had to live on was more important than the revenue number. Because at one point we were doing, you know, we had done multiple six figures and I still hadn't quit my job yet. And I was like, damn, I really should go all in. But you know, like I was like, I didn't need enough to live off of. So I, to your point, it does vary from person to person. Like what is your risk tolerance? What is your cost of living? You know, like how much you need to be in a, to be in a bank to take care of you and or your family um, for it to make sense. So it, it really does boil down to my opinion. Um, it's a financial number to take care of yourself and your risk tolerance. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. So. Here's a pretty juicy one that I wasn't expected, but was submitted. When, uh, excuse me, if you were to do it all over again, what are one to two things you would have done differently when starting your businesses? Uh, so this, <laughs> this actually also falls into the category of questions that I don't love only because like usually people phrase it like, yeah, um, 
what do you regret or do you have any regrets uh, or Mm -hmm. and the thing is like of course I have regrets of course there are things I would do differently but like that's with the benefit of hindsight you know like I just Mm -hmm. I know so much more now than I did then so Mm -hmm. it feels a little insincere to be like oh yeah I would do all these things differently because it's like but I'm only where I am because of the things that I did do you know right Mm -hmm. um so this is a a tough question for me I'll be honest I don't know if you do you have any things off the top of your head that you would yeah I need to think about it (laughs) yeah you know what's funny about that is like um when you say the benefit of hindsight is 50 50 like in the moment when I was making these decisions I thought they were the right decisions otherwise I wouldn't have made them (laughs) exactly so like yeah I love how you frame that I think there's probably been some mishires along the way there's two that come to mind I'm like fuck like I really wish I did not hire these two people like because it was a waste of money you know or they caused so much frustration and aggravation uh they derailed the company for some time had to put it back on the track so like I think that you know if I could tell my younger entrepreneurial self like I would you're for me I believe that the business is all about the people you know who are your co-founders who are your um who are your teammates who are your investors like all those things will make or break your business and so like I made some mishires and I wish I could do that over again so that would be my yeah. answer I agree with that definitely some some mishires I think for me I started being more focused on like um not just who I am as a leader but like what my faults were and how to really confront them head on and I think I didn't really start that work until like a year ago Mm -hmm. um and it's not because I didn't think about leadership or, or or care about leadership I cared a great deal but I think I was just more willing in the beginning to believe that like generally speaking I was doing a good job and so you know I could address my 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 faults and my flaws but like generally speaking um I'm I'm doing I'm doing okay and I think I really started to come to terms with the idea last year like oh wait you might actually really not be doing this very well (laughs) (laughs) like like despite your best intentions and I have always had good intentions you Mm -hmm. might really not be doing a great job of 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 being a leader, of bringing people along with you in a way that makes them feel valued and acknowledged and respected and excited. And, um, and, and that is something that you need to work on. And, and I'm still working on it and I will continue working on it. I think I'm better at it today, but you know, um, we're, we're doing 360 reviews. So I'll get my, my 360 reviews in the next week or so. So we'll find out if I'm any better at it, but at least I know I have Mm -hmm. been working on it, like really being honest with myself and working on it. So if there's something I would have done differently, I think it's started focusing on that a bit earlier. That's a good one. Yeah, That's a good one. Um, Okay. Next question. This is an interesting one. How has being an entrepreneur affected your family life? (laughs) Do you want me to go first? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You do it. So I would say that I feel very close to my family during this period 
they've essentially been like my rock and the people I lean on and the people who give it to me straight, no chaser. Um, and just keep it real with me. And they're often strategic thought partners too. You know, you can't take everything to your teammates, you know? Um, and so sometimes it's like, Hey mom, I'm facing this problem. I want to get your thoughts. Do I do this or do I not do this? And her sage wisdom is almost always right. It's insane. Like, is it something, I don't know if it's a motherly wisdom or Haitian wisdom. I have no idea. But this woman, literally, she is almost 100% right with her insights and her gut reaction when it comes to business or people management or product selection. It's just amazing. And so, like, I'm extremely close with my mom. My, my dad actually helped with like fulfillment for a long time. And I could not have done anything, any of this without him. And my sister uh, ultimately became a co-founder for me when we um, over the summer launched Dash Camp. And she continues to essentially be the co-founder and leader of Dash Camp. You know, that Dash Camp doesn't work without Nadia. So I, for me, and I know I'm super blessed to be in this position, I'm super close with my family and then the extra bonus is because everything I do is virtual, I can live in any city and do what I do, right? We run virtual experiences and e-commerce store. And so my partner lives in DC. And when we decided that we were getting more serious, I could literally pick up and move to DC to be with him. Um, and so I feel really fortunate because if I still had my job at Google, like Google doesn't have an office in DC, you know, like you're just an SF and you're dating people in your market, you know, and that it is what it is. But like being an entrepreneur, however grueling and difficult and challenging it may be, it has also given me freedom and flexibility. And I would say it's brought me extremely close to uh, my family. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. so many entrepreneurs have experiences where they they feel like the startup becomes their life and pulls them away from family. So I think it's really amazing that it's, mm-hmm. it's brought you closer to yours. Um, yeah. yeah, for me, I will say um, I feel incredibly blessed because my husband, who you know, Kadar, is um, mm-hmm. just so supportive. Like, like beyond mm-hmm. number one cheerleader, beyond number one fan. Like, he sold product with us at our first several pop-ups. Like, literally <laughs> was in the back, getting the supplies, getting the lipsticks, ringing customers up. Like, and not everyone has that experience. And so, pr- particularly mm-hmm. female founders, um, yeah, I um, think a lot of uh, men can be intimidated by women who are you know as strong and as confident as you have to be to start your own business and will find ways to sort of subtly sabotage your progress or look down on it or sort of say little comments that make it clear they don't think it's as important or you're as busy as you think you are all because their ego can't handle it and I feel so blessed and lucky that that is not my testimony um, mm-hmm. and that, you know, I, I, I am with someone who is so supportive. And I think because of that, um, the effect on my family life has, has been a good one because I'm happier, you know, and I think anytime mm-hmm. anyone in, in the relationship and in the family, uh, finds something that makes them truly happy, that's, that's only going to be a good thing for 
the family as a whole. So that's, that's one thing I will say. The, the other thing I'll say though, is, you know, I don't think I realized how much of a spotlight gets put on you when you are an entrepreneur, particularly if your business starts to take off. Um, and that sometimes can feel a little weird um, to me. Maybe, not, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it feels weird at all to my husband or to my my family members, but it can feel a little weird to me that I'm sort of always saying like, here's this link to this press article or, you know, NBC um, is doing like a feature on me right now, NBC Philadelphia. So there are these like new episodes coming out every week. It feels a little weird to be like, here's another episode of all about me or like, Hey, we were in Oprah. Like, here's a video of me meeting Oprah. Like, I don't know. It can feel these sound like humble brags, but what I'm, I'm actually not trying to humble brag. What I'm trying to say is like, I feel weird about the fact that being running this business has put me in the spotlight so often because I want to share it and I want the people I love to, Mm -hmm. to participate in it. But I also don't love feeling like I'm just kind of constantly bragging, you know? So, and I can imagine Mm -hmm. that being difficult for certain families. Absolutely. And I'm curious, like, what is your family's response? Have you ever asked them, like, hey, do you want me to stop sending this to you? No, I haven't. I probably should ask them. But but whenever I send it, they're all just like, love it. Like, we're so excited. Like, you look amazing. Or this is so cool. Um, And I only send it to immediate family members. I don't, like, you know, send it to every Jones in the nation. But, um, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I just, I do feel a little weird about it. I have to imagine if these, you know, are family members who truly love you, they take pride in seeing you uh, become so successful and know, like, I knew her when and, you know, we're rooting for her and feel like a part of you ascending. So I know, like, when I, I remember we got, I think we had just got done recording a podcast and you're like, I just met Oprah. And then I was like, I got the, off the phone. Like, mom, Kate just met Oprah. And my mom was like, oh my God, Kate just met Oprah. You know, so like, my mom has never met you. She's so proud of you, you know. So I can only imagine how your family swells of pride. So, you know, I, I just love hearing that. And, and yes, you know, I know Kadar and he is your number one fan. I remember when you were telling me like, in some of the first, first gigs, like he was mm-hmm. opening chairs, first one there last one there closing down the chair so you know I think that we're really fortunate people that we have such supportive people in our corners who are rooting for us who are not hating on us not trying to take us down but just trying to find ways to to support us and help us reach our dreams so we're fortunate for sure and the last question from our burning grab bag question edition (laughs) number four is who are a few other entrepreneurs you admire and Mm, why yeah um well I'm gonna shout out a few (laughs) women of color who I I love and admire um so my good friend Kim Lewis who runs Curl Mix she is um a mother Mm -hmm. of two she uh started the company by making up these uh ingredients in her home selling them to her friends 
Um, she's just the realest, like honestly, the realest. When you have a question, you can hit her via text, you know, email, whatever. She's going to get back to you and be completely honest. She has nothing, you know, she's not trying to keep everything close to the vest. Like she's just, she's just so real. <laughs> and when you find entrepreneurs like that and founder mm-hmm. friends like that, it's everything. So I admire her for building a multi-million dollar business from scratch while building a family while, you know, living her best life um, and being 100% real throughout the process. Um, So she's the first person that I will call out. Mm -hmm. And then a second person I'll call out um, is my friend Nancy over at Briogeo. She's built such an impactful, big brand, growing brand (laughs) um, that is Mm -hmm. doing just massive Mm -hmm. numbers at Sephora. Now she's launched with Ulta. Um, And she's done it all with such grace. Um, And again, another black woman who I just, I just admire. She's really created a roadmap for so many other founders, particularly founders of color in the beauty space. Um, And so I, I definitely Mm -hmm. admire her. So those are two people I'd call out. What about you? Nice. I think there's some that I admire from afar. Like I don't know them personally. And there's some that are within my network and I feel fortunate to call them friends. Um, I think the ones I admire from afar are folks like Katrina Lake, um, Mm -hmm. the CEO of Stitch Fix, um, also HBS grad. Um, I just like how she is an, an untraditional leader. Um, meaning that she is pretty introverted. She's pretty quiet. She's more of a cerebral thinker. Um, but the people I know who have worked for her has had nothing but great things to say about her. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I think she has gone through a metamorphosis where she was like, this is a tech company. This is not a clothing company. Or, you know, I don't, you know, um, I hate when people focus on me being a woman, like, and she was going through this thing where she's like, now she's like, I'm proud to be a woman. I know that inspire women executives and founders. And, you know, I think one of the biggest moments where she showcased that's when her, her company went public and she brought her, her child to NASDAQ for the bell mm-hmm. opening. So that was like a historic moment. Um, so I just really respect her, her leadership and the company that she's built. Um, I think about um, people like Sarah Blakely from Spanx. I talk about mm-hmm. her all the time, just her hustle and her grind. Um, but personally, like within the network, I think a lot about Denise yeah. Woodward from Partake, you know, um, who, you know, she built a cookie company that has, it's taken out the top eight allergens for, you know, inspired by her daughter. And she's also an African-American woman. And now, you know, she got, I think she was like something like 78 rejections before she got an investor and Jay-Z was one of them. And Jay-Z put a million dollars. So when you think about resiliency, I think about Denise. Um, And now her products are in Whole Foods and Target and Trader Joe's. And I must say, every time I go in any of these stores, anytime I see your product, <laughs> I just feel compelled to support. So yes. I've seen every flavor. And then she's coming out with new stuff. I saw pancakes. I'm like, damn, now you got me in paint. Okay, you know, but I got to support. So I love what she's doing. And, and it tastes delicious. Um, and then mm-hmm. I think a lot about Julia Collins, um, who, um, you know, she was the first Black woman to build you know, a, mm-hmm. a unicorn, a company worth at least a billion dollars. And uh, I met her, I want to say like five or six years ago. And just talk about someone who was a she really is. Uh, She's the best. Light, <laughs> you know, 
like my god like i mean she really is any room she walks into she's gonna anyone she meets in general she's gonna pour mm-hmm. life into you she's gonna pour positivity and encouragement and if nobody else believes <laughs> in you you're gonna feel like julia believes in you you know and she's such a champion for black women entrepreneurs um and i just love how she's breaking the mold and she, you know, she's now started a new company called Moonshot Crackers. Uh, it's all about being planet friendly. Um, and, you know, I know a couple of people who work for her. And again, like my friend Christy Lee, who runs her, her marketing team is like, man, like she's taught me how to be anti-racist, you know, like, <laughs> and I'm like, so Julia just, she is who she is. She's unapologetic, but she has a way of leading in a way where everyone seems to love her and she gets really high results and she creates incredible products. And I'm like, man, like, I just, I respect her and admire her so much and feel Absolutely. lucky to call her a friend. All right, guys, that is it for this week. We hope you loved this episode because we certainly loved bringing it to you. And if you are loving the show, stop right now, subscribe, and give us a five-star rating. And if you have a topic that you would love for us to dive into, or if you're interested in a sponsorship opportunity, simply send us an email at windownbuiltup at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.